Hello and welcome to the Orchard Recording Studio Podcast, a podcast about music and its many aspects, how it's made, why we love it, and all the great stuff in between. My name is Dave, and I'll be your host. Recently, I had a great band here at the Orchard for a two-week lockout session. Everyone in the band traveled a great distance to get here. The minimum was about three hours, a bus from New York City to Albany, and then a car down here. The longest was 10 hours, an overnight bus from Toronto, Canada. Even without having to check to see if your passport's expired, deciding to book any studio is a big decision. It can be an expensive one, and an emotional one. You want to feel comfortable in a place where you'll be pouring your heart and soul into your music for the world to hear, so people typically shop around. And that made me wonder, how did a band traveling so far decide that my studio was the right one for them? Over any of the probably 100 other studios between here and Toronto, especially when they're signing up for 10 hours overnight on a Greyhound. So I asked him. Would you start by uh, introducing yourself and saying the name of the band? Hey, I'm John Robertson, singer-songwriter for the band Kindergarten. And I have to admit, I was surprised by his response. I was just online, and I, w- I was searching, you know, upstate recording studio, New Jersey recording studio, home recording studios, you know, just looking up all these different places. And I had uh, a list of a few dozen places to reach out to, you know, a lot of them didn't get back or the communication was strange or unprofessional or what have you, or it just didn't work out. You know, the, the gear list wasn't improved. The guy, Danny Namath, who was playing drums was the one who was more concerned with the gear list. And I was kind of sending him all the gear lists from all the websites and, uh, you know, kind of making a checklist of, uh, all the places that were approved and uh, Orchard was on that list. I really liked your website and your mini feed. But I just found when I reached out, just the dialogue that we had right away was just so comforting and human. And I can't explain. It was like we were pals messaging back and forth right away, you know? I mean, I try to be nice to people when they contact me, but I don't think I realize just how big a role that plays when they're deciding on a studio. I mean, if you look at recording studio websites, you'll see what we think people need to make a decision. Long lists of gear, vintage instruments, recognizable clients. And while that might be true, it might not always be enough to close a deal. Did anyone else that you reached out to make you feel that way? Not really. It was like, (laughs) it was was such a far cry from the other places I had reached out to. I I had uh, got past the first few messages, you know, the, the first little bit of back and forth with a few other studios. Just didn't really have a dialogue like, like that going right away. And for me, you know, the little budget I was playing with was like a one-shot deal to get it right. So I had to feel really sure about where I was going, you know? It was, it was, it was a big risk to me to take. If you had saw my feed and maybe my gear list was on the cusp of not getting the sort of Dan seal of approval, would you still have considered coming because you resonated with my personality? And would that come first and maybe the gear come second? What I probably would have done in that situation, because the um, just because the correspondence had gone so well and the, the location and the environment seemed so perfect, I probably what I would have done is reached out to Dan and said, well, okay, well, how close is this list? You know, are there a couple pieces we could rent and bring with us or what have you? Which is interesting. I guess you really can't do the reverse. I mean... You can always rent the gear if the personality matches there, but you can't necessarily rent personality match to go with the great gear list. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I was so aware, you know, too, of like that it was going to be 13 days in a row, all day, every day, just being considerate. 
towards each other and polite to each other. And that has to be kind of happening right away. That was something that you got from just our correspondence. Yeah, definitely. So if bedside manner is so important, why don't audio engineers seem to have any? Is there something about our culture, industry, or personality type that keeps us crabby? I could think of a couple things. First of all, engineers, we are hermits. We prefer to spend time indoors on beautiful days. We work late nights and weekends. We typically don't get enough sleep, nutrition, or exercise. And that's a known aspect of the job description. If you follow audio engineers online, you may have seen the meme of the engineer's exercise plan where it's essentially before and after pictures of a guy getting in shape, but in reverse. We joke about it, but is our lifestyle corroding our interpersonal skills? That would be alarming, especially now, in an era when we have to try doubly hard to find work, because there's just less of it. Bands are self-financing recordings, so money is tight. Artists are getting more comfortable recording themselves. I have a lot of clients who come here just to record drums or basic tracks and then finish everything at home. Software is getting cheaper. Good mics are affordable. So are we doing ourselves a disservice by simply having human interactions? Which, interestingly, we're signing ourselves up for. Recording studio websites famously don't list prices. I don't list mine. I want people to contact me so I can learn about their project and budget and give them a reasonable quote. But by doing that, we're relying on our customer service skills to close deals. And if Jono in kindergarten had to burn through 500 miles of studios just to find one that had any, that's about 770 kilometers for our listeners in Toronto, maybe with a little bit of energy and practice, there's an opportunity here for engineers to whip their skills into shape and get more gigs. Here's another reason that occurred to me for why engineers may not give customers the warm and fuzzies. It's because in the music industry, it's always been about number one. Some recording studios foster a kind of hierarchy where the chief engineer rules the roost and the intern is supposed to blend into the background and speak when spoken to. It's expected, and it's been that way for a long time. And some interns, they can't wait to become the engineer when it's their turn to ignore instead of being the ignored. I worked in music stores, and it happened there too. There's a real satisfaction in finally becoming the tastemaker behind the counter, dismissing all dissenting opinions. It's a caricature at this point. The young customer approaches, seeks approval, rarely gets it, and longs for the day when it's their turn, when they can hold court, show superiority, and continue the cycle. So maybe for some people, running a studio is like arriving at the top of their pyramid, and they finally get to be dismissive. I recently saw on Instagram a, a photo from a recording studio. It was a list of important things written down on a chalkboard for their clients to see. I think it was written in a lighthearted way, but something about it didn't sit right with me. Here's one of them, for example. If you need your headphone mix adjusted, just ask. That's a totally helpful reminder. Here's another. Drink water. Also very helpful. But the others, some of them went a little differently. For example, if your engineer is editing or listening, and you are playing or singing along, you are sabotaging your record. I'll seed the point, but wow. It's like we forget that we're in a service industry, and that getting the best performance out of your client, hopefully a good online review, and maybe even some word-of-mouth business, it might just mean turning down the snark. That was actually number one at the top of the list. To be fair, I follow a lot of other studios who all seem like their main concern is their client's comfort and happiness, so I have not cornered the market on customer service. But I do focus on it, and I think I can admit that it's helped me earn some work. I'd encourage anyone in this business to try it. I think you'll be surprised by the results. There's no good reason why I should have gotten that kindergarten gig over someone else. I have nice gear, but I don't have a vintage Neve mixing board or a stack of U87s. My rates are reasonable, but they're by no means cheap. 
but maybe that's why I do focus on customer service because I don't have all that gear. Can you stop focusing on customer service when you do have all that stuff? I may never know, so I'll just stick with my plan. But imagine what you could achieve with both. This is Dave from the Orchard Recording Studio podcast signing off. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and help others find it by kindly leaving a rating and review. To learn more about the studio and what we do here, please visit orchardrecordingstudio.com. There's also a link to the podcast page. Please follow the studio on Instagram at Orchard Recording. You can contact the show at podcast at orchardrecordingstudio.com or leave a message at 646-389-0877. Let me know what you think or make suggestions about topics you're curious about. Nothing is too big or too small. Thank you for listening. Until next time.